morning, City Light. It's good to see you guys in your ugly sweaters looking beautiful. I think I got to say, though, my favorite was a guy in our church. Dude wore an uh, Iowa Hawkeyes sweater. <laughs> he just won at Ugly Christmas Sweater Sunday. Okay, so it was pretty incredible. My name's Austin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, this, they were asking me, like, does this, like, stop lighting up if it's distracting? It does. It's motion censored. So you know if I'm not preaching hard, it's going to stop. When I'm preaching hard, it's like going, okay, it's going to be lighting up. So anyways, I'm excited. Uh, man, we, if you're just joining us, we've been walking through uh, our Advent series. So this is our third third week, and basically Advent is just preparing our hearts to see the splendor, the majesty, the awe, the beauty, the glory of what Jesus did in coming for us 2,000 years ago, right? So this is what we're doing. We've looked at hope, and we've looked at love, and then this morning we get to look at peace. So we'll be in Isaiah chapter 9. You guys can flip your Bibles there if you'd like, and uh, but as we jump in, let me ask you this question. Um, who is the most peaceful person you know? Who's the most peaceful person you know, uh, well, when I was, uh, when I worked at City Light in Omaha, um, I, I met a guy named Jack, and uh, Jack and his wife, Linda, led Kristen and I through pre- premarital counseling, and they're, like, incredible, right? They open up their home, they're so sweet, inviting, they share the gospel, they leverage their lives for Jesus and his kingdom, and, um, and they're in their mid-60s, and so uh, I had the privilege of Jack discipling me while I was in Omaha, and uh, that basically meant that we hung out every week and talked about Jesus and life and marriage and struggles and or we go play pickleball or we would go do woodworking in his garage so we had a blast and I love this man he's made a massive impact on my life but one day as we were hanging out um, Jack shares with me that the company that he's invested in um, for the last 15 years has suddenly collapsed and all of his investment is gone like in an instant, like for 15 years, his primary savings, his primary means of investment is completely gone. And he's in his mid sixties, retired. Okay. And so, and I'm like, I'm, I'm like freaking out of this moment. Right. And I, and, um, and I, I felt, I felt the pain in his eyes and the quivering of his voice. And as he's telling me this, but then he leans in with a smile, like a confident, restful smile on his face. He says, you know what? At least my investment in the kingdom of God can never be taken away. Isn't that beautiful? I thought, and it was just so beautiful. And so for the rest of the time, he just walked me through and just assured me how the Prince of Peace, Jesus, has got him and is in control. And I felt so encouraged. And so I remember I was shocked because I'm thinking like, Jack, what are you going to do financially? How are you going to take care of your wife? What what are you going to do for this? What's your plan for this? And and he didn't have any of those answered. And it was just had so much peace in Jesus. And so I remember lying in bed that week thinking like, God, how did he do this? Like, how does he have that peace. Like, whatever Jack has, I want it. I want a piece of that, right? Like, I, I, I want to understand and trust you like he does. Whatever Jack has, I want it. And I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what you've been through, but I'm willing to bet that you want that same type of peace. I'm willing to bet every single person say, yes, sign me up for that, right? A peace that, like, you want that same assurance that whatever life throws at you, you're going to be okay. It's a peace that supersedes circumstances. You want a piece of that. And I've got incredible news that in Isaiah chapter 9, it says that that same peace is offered to you and I. Isn't that incredible? So the first thing I want us to see is a people without peace. 
a people without peace. So if you look at verse 1, it says that the people were in gloom and anguish and in contempt. And then if you flip back, if you look at chapter 8, it gives context in what's going on. So the people uh, were, were under, the, in chapter 8, were under the judgment of God. So they were uh, hungry, distressed, and God was hiding his face away from them because they were walking in sin right? So this was a dark time. And the two locations that uh, Isaiah mentions are uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, right? In these two areas, they were devastated by the Assyrians. So the Assyrians would come in, they would uh, hold people captive, they would take the resources, and they would just rule over them. Um, that, that's who these verses are addressing, people that are in that circumstance currently, people that don't have their lives together. And in verse 2, it says that, uh, that they were in darkness, we have to be clear, City Light, this isn't the cute American family with a golden retriever, a cute Christmas card, and a comfy salary, right? Like, they, they, they are anxious, and they were hurting, and they're desperate. They need a Savior, and, and, and I think we can relate to them, right? I, I think on that level, we can relate uh, on that. Have you ever had a time where you just felt completely overwhelmed? Like, like, you're drowning, taking in water, and you're kicking as hard as you can, but you can't stay afloat. Have you had moments like that? Or you just felt completely anxious. See, the opposite of peace is anxiety. And, and when the Bible talks about anxiety, basically what, it's, what it refers to is, is someone being torn or split into a lot of different directions, right? Uh, being torn in many different directions. So uh, to be anxious is to be restless, okay? But when the Bible speaks about peace, it often uses the word shalom. And shalom means to be whole or complete. So that's the contrast that's going on. Anxious, torn in different directions. Peace, shalom, whole and complete. That's the contrast. For these people, they lacked peace because of their horrible circumstances. They were held captive under oppression and in darkness. But what is it for you? Like, honestly, ask yourself, where do you lack peace? I think the most anxious time in my life was when my wife was pregnant with my daughter. We've had uh, several friends that have unfortunately um, had miscarriages, and it was such a big and real fear in my life. Like, you can ask my wife, it, it ruled over me, and I was constantly worried that something would happen to my daughter or to my wife, and then I read horror stories of deliveries gone wrong, and then I'm thinking, like, and that drove my fear even more. Like, is my wife going to be okay? Uh, will she have to have a C-section? Will my daughter be healthy? Will we be good parents? Like, all of these questions, and they haunted me over and over and over again, and every doctor visit, it felt like I held my breath until I could hear her heartbeat. That, that's, that's my fear. And it didn't just stop when she was born, by the way. Like, I'm still walking through this weird, protective kind of fear over my daughter as if I can control anything what happens to her. Right? So it's just to let you in on, on some of my fears. And so I want to ask you to honestly ask yourself, where do you lack peace? And so may, maybe, it's, maybe it's a question of, will I ever get over my anxiety and depression? Right? Maybe it's, will, will I ever get over this addiction that seems to have this relentless grip on my soul? Will I ever feel freed from this guilt that I'm facing and thinking about constantly? Will I ever get out of debt? Will I ever be financially stable? Will I ever not live paycheck to paycheck? Right? Am I going to get married? Will I ever be able to have kids? Well, here, here's a big one for me. Will my kids know Jesus personally? right? Or, or will my loved ones, my parents, and my grandparents, and my siblings, will they know Jesus? And when will that happen? Will I ever find a job that I really love? 
Will my life matter and actually make a difference? Will I ever heal from the pain of losing that loved person? Will I ever fit in? Will I ever find community? Will I ever be fully known? Will my marriage ever get better? Like, will we stop fighting and start to actually just walk in, in some joy together? Will I ever like the way I look? Here's one I struggle with. Will the feeling of peace ever last for more than a day or two? Or will I ever be okay with not having all the answers? Friend, you are not alone in your anxieties. You are not abandoned in your doubts. You are not isolated in your fears. I feel it too. I feel the struggle. I feel the fear that can creep in, and I want peace. And listen, I'm convinced that wherever that place is for you that comes to mind where you lack peace, that's precisely where God wants to meet you this morning. It's exactly where he wants to meet you. This passage is written to people in that place, in a fearful place. God's promise of peace is addressed to, stamped, and delivered to people who currently lack peace. And so the next thing I want us to see is the promise of peace. The promise of peace. So look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Isaiah is saying, man, it's, it's not going to stay dark. Like, it's not going to stay dark anymore. You're walking in darkness. You're feeling some darkness. Light's going to break in. And this is amazing news, right? I don't know about you guys, but I've had seasons where I've walked in darkness, clearly rejected the love of God. And I'm not just talking the times before I knew Jesus. I'm talking about a year ago, months ago, when I felt like I just walked in darkness, neglected the word of God, was just uh, apathetic towards his will and towards his passion right? So I don't know about you, but man, I've had times where I've walked in darkness, and I want the light, but it feels like I have no idea how to get there. And this passage is saying that the promise is that those walking in darkness, light's going to break into your story. Light is going to break in in the most beautiful, extravagant way. And then in verse 3, it goes on to say, and you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. How different is this story, right? How different is this happening? These are people that walked in darkness. They were uh, diminishing in number. And now it says that you've increased the nation. You've increased the joy. Like this is the picture uh, of, of a football team winning a huge game. This is the picture of the volleyball team last night winning the national champion. Amen? Like we're excited about that. The, or, or this is, but not even that, to go a step further. This is like UCF football in Florida going 0-2 two years ago and now being 12-0. Like just a massive change and the massive victory that's happening. This is people celebrating that God has brought joy. And then in verse 4, it explains more of the promise of peace. So verse 4, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as as on the day of Midian. So right now, Isaiah is reminding them of the past, right? He's, remi- he's giving them a history lesson on what happened with Midian. Now, Midian is this uh, country, these people that have been attacking the Israelites, going in and taking their resources. And so God raises up a leader. His name is Gideon. It's easy to remember because Midian and Gideon uh, is really nice. And so uh, in Judges chapter 6 and 7, it explains that Gideon, this man, uh, was of the smallest tribe, and, and, he's, and uh, he's the youngest man. So he's super unlikely, right? But God chooses him to lead this battle against this massive army of the Midianites. And then so here's what God provides for battle. A young, unexperienced leader, 300 men, some torches, some jars, and some trumpets. 
okay, against an army that's massive with real weapons. Like, talk about bringing a knife to a gunfight. This is like bringing a kazoo to a spear fight. Like, dude is gonna, like, you're gonna get speared in your face, and your kazoo will not stop you, okay? Like, it's not gonna be good, but this is what's happening. Guess what happens? God wins the battle for them, right? God is victorious through Gideon and his 300 men to kill all the Midianites, and so the Midianites literally start killing each other, and then they just start to flee. They're gone. The enemy is gone. So in verse 3, Israel wins the Super Bowl. And in verse 4, their enemy just flees and runs away. And then it gets even better in verse 5. Look at this. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That probably sounds weird. And you're wondering, like, what the heck does that mean? Uh, Well, imagine if you took every boot— of every soldier that's ever fought in the Vietnam War, in the Civil War, in the World Wars, in the Middle East right now. You took all their boots, and you took all of their gear, and their helmets, and uh, their guns, and their packs, and then their stretchers, and tents, and you grabbed all that stuff, and you rolled up, and you just had a huge bonfire and burned it all. Why? Because this is the promise of peace. You will never have to use it again. Your victory will be so secure, so eternally sure and stable and irreversible that you'll never have to use a weapon again because your battle is won. That's what verse 5 is telling. That's what it's anticipating. And so uh, in verse 3, Israel wins the Super Bowl. In verse 4, their enemy flees. And in verse 5, the promise is you will never have to fight again. It's beautiful. This is the promise of peace. And so let me make this personal for you and me. Let me make this personal for, for you and me. Um, imagine a time when the alluring temptation to look at someone lustfully is gone. Imagine a time when the influence of your flesh has been stomped out. Imagine a time, uh, a month, when you don't have to hide and delete your history record. Imagine a week when the guilt of what you've done isn't staring at you in the face. I mean, imagine a time when racism is fully done with and gone. Like there's true equality and true equity. Imagine a time when human trafficking is stomped out and defeated. When those little girls that are being raped daily can actually experience true life as they should. When those women that are being oppressed and abused can see themselves as true image bearers of God. Imagine a time when those men repent of their sin, trust in Jesus, and are freed from that bondage. Imagine a time when your chronic pain is gone, when the guilt you face is off your shoulders. Imagine a time when you don't lay awake at night and fear death. This is the promise of peace, and we all want it. Not only will God defeat our enemy, and not only will our enemy flee, but that victory will be so final, so sure, so eternally secure that we never have to fight again. And in the same way that God uh, uh, defeated Gideon's enemy, God is the one that's fighting for our peace right now. It's beautiful. He's the one fighting for it. So this is the promise of peace. And you may say, Austin, sign me up all day. This sounds incredible, but the next question becomes, how do I get it? And then, it, and then the question is, well, who, who, who's going to get it for me, right? Who's going to win it? Who's going to actually secure that? And so the last thing I want to see is, is the person of peace, the person of peace. So look at uh, verse 6, Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah, this is so huge for us to get, Isaiah is telling us that peace isn't this ambiguous place we have to arrive to, but peace is a person that we receive as a gift. 
okay? Peace isn't some random destination that we somehow arrive to that's ambiguous. Peace is a person that we receive as a gift. And by the way, parents in the room, parents, can we be honest? Uh, an announcement of a baby uh, isn't the most peaceful thing that we can interpret, right? Like, like uh, yeah, we're excited to have a new baby, and that's awesome, but like, Peace isn't the thing that comes to mind naturally. Like, you're thinking sleepless nights. You're thinking inconsolable crying. You're thinking, like, no more just napping and Netflixing anymore. You're thinking, like, I'm going to have to put together a complex crib, and it doesn't look right, and I don't think it will hold my baby. You know, like, you're thinking, this is not peace. And then women, can we be honest? Like, your body changing, like, you growing a human inside of you and delivering it out, like, that's probably not the most natural, peaceful thing you've ever thought of, okay? So, but this baby's different. All right, this baby is completely different. Um, and and uh, Isaiah lists his name. So he says, hey, his names are Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, imagine if you're, uh, if you're just like, ro- you're hanging out in the grocery store. You're in Aldi for, the, for those of us that can't afford high V. And so you're in Aldi hanging out, you know, and you're trying to pick out the perfect avocado because you need it right, right? And, and so you're looking at it, and this, like, woman walks by, and she's got her son in a stroller. And you're like, oh, my gosh, he is so cute. What's his name? Everlasting Father. Oh, oh, what's your son's name? Oh, this? That's Larry. Uh, <laughs> we named him after the guy we met at a truck stop. So, you know, he's, he's healthy, though. I think he's pretty good. He likes his formula. You know, I don't know. Like, like, it's just so different, right? Like, this baby is so special and unique. And, man, like, the hope of the future is pinned to this baby, right? Like, the peace of the nation, of the world is wrapped up in this baby. But listen, this shouldn't have been a surprise, right? Like, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in response to Adam and Eve sinning, God says, I'm promising to give a son that will stomp the head of the, sa- of the serpent, right? All the way back, this is that baby. This is that same baby from Genesis 3 that's promised. Isaiah 9, again promised, there's a boy that's going to come that's going to stomp out and defeat the enemy eternally, right? And then, and then verse 7 goes on to say that the increase of his peace will never end. Like, this son will establish his kingdom with justice and righteousness. He'll be perfect, and his peace will reign forevermore. But listen, think about what Isaiah is saying. I want you to pause and get out our, like, just step out of our culture for a second and step out of what we know that happened on December 25th, okay? Step out of that for a second and think about what Isaiah is saying. I mean, he's talking to people that are down and out, that are broken, that are hurting, and that are anxious, and he just starts promising some pretty big things, right? Two, verses 2 through 5, he's getting people hyped. He's like, man, there ain't going to be no darkness anymore. You get light. You get light. You get, he's pulling the Oprah, you know, like, you get light. You know, he's going crazy. They're always like, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, look under your seat. And so he's excited. <laughs> He's excited. He's getting jacked. And then they're like, hey, uh, and then your enemy's going to be defeated. He gone, you know, and then, and then your enemy's going to flee. And then I'm telling you, you'll never have to fight again. At this point, people are like, Isaiah. Uh, they're chanting. They're excited. They're pumped on this level. Like, this is amazing. And then he throws his curveball and says, oh, by the way, that promise is going to be secured and fulfilled by a baby. Say what? You know, like, what? A, a baby? You know, and I'm saying step out of our context for just a second and think about what they would have thought. How absurd, how weak, how unlikely would this promise have been? I mean, it sounds great beforehand, but then he gets to that a baby will do it? That that, really, that's how you're going to secure peace? I mean, how can a baby bring peace to my anxious heart? And you might be asking yourself that same question this morning. 
How, how can a baby bring peace to my anxious and fearful heart? But listen, we have an advantage, don't we? We know the rest of the story. That's what, and so 2,000 years ago, a baby boy was born, and his name is Jesus. And over this baby was announced in Luke 2, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel with the angel, a multitude with the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. This baby Jesus assures us that we don't have to fear anymore. This baby Jesus brings good news, not just to the religious elite and the people that have been good enough, but to all people and all nations. This Jesus, this baby comes, and he's a savior, and he brings peace. Church, peace has a name, and it's Jesus. And in the same way that Gideon was the most unlikely candidate to bring peace to the nation, this baby born in a lowly manger would be the unlikely bringer of peace to the world. And 2,000 years later, we're still praising and, and, and acknowledging and standing amazed of this baby. You see the beauty of what has been promised. And Isaiah makes it so clear. This baby is given, not earned. This baby is born, not produced by your good works and by your efforts and strategies. God is the one who does it. This son is a gift that we did nothing to earn, right? So if his name is wonderful, that means that nothing about him is boring. And, if it, and then if he's counsel, that means that he has wisdom and plans. And if he's mighty God, that means that he can carry out his plans. And when he says everlasting father, it's not referring to his role in the Trinity, uh, right? But it's referring to his rule over people for all time, okay? Like we have great leaders and they lead and then they die and a new person comes in. But that won't be this for this baby. He's everlasting. He's our source. He's our leader. He'll reign forevermore in his prince of peace Everything he does upholds his eternal victory, his eternal peace over sin, Satan, death, hell, and fear. And I know this sounds good, right? You're thinking, man, Austin, honestly, dude, I want that. That sounds great, but it's, but it's all theoretical, right? Like you're wondering, how, does, how did Jesus actually fulfill the promises in Isaiah 9? How does he actually bring peace to me? And here, here's the trouble. We normally think of peace uh, in terms of our circumstances being secure, right? Our circumstances being stable. But is there a greater, more true understanding of peace? See, the primary question concerning our peace has actually nothing to do with our finances. It has nothing to do with our relief from chronic pain or a restored family or uh, finally getting married or having a healthy baby. The primary question concerning you and I and our peace is how do I stand righteous before a holy God? The primary question concerning our peace is how do I, a sinner, stand righteous before a holy God? Listen, if you don't have peace with God, you will not find it. You cannot possess it through any other thing. In other words, your bank account can be full and endless, right? Your marriage can be sweet and romantic and fun. Your kids can be healthy and successful. You can get your dream job. You can be healed from your pain. Uh, you, you can have the best, most supportive friends. But if you do not have peace with God, anxiety and feel, fear will rule your life, right? The promise of peace in Isaiah 9 has less to do with circumstantial peace and everything to do 
with an eternal peace and victory, right? So every single one of us, we've chosen to walk in darkness. We've sinned before a holy God. We've rebelled against him. Therefore, we have no peace with him. We stand condemned. And we can do nothing in our own efforts to mend it or make it better because we are broken. But listen, God didn't leave us there right? He sent a son. He gave us a son. A son was born, and from that son, he would be born, live a perfect life, and then at the end of his life, and by the way, always at peace with God, and at the end of his life, this Jesus would be subjected to our biggest fear, paying the penalty for our sin. On the cross, Jesus paid the punishment that you and I deserve. He took on the wrath of God, the most fearful thing, Our sin, our rebellion, our fear laid upon his shoulders. City Light, Jesus took our sin and gave us his peace. And Romans 5.1 declares it. It says, since we have been justified by faith, made made righteous before God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. This is the promise of peace. And so if you want peace and you're in the room, but you don't know uh, Jesus, you'll never have it. Like, if you want to know peace, you need to know the person, the Prince of Peace, Jesus. So how do we stand righteous before a holy God? Simple. Faith in Jesus' finished work. That's peace. That's the victory we anticipate. That is the glory that is wrapped up in this person, the peace we so desperately search for. Jesus defeated Satan. Satan flees. And then Satan is put away forevermore, and we never have to fight again. Church, in John 17, on the cross, when Jesus says it's finished, he meant it. He meant it. So the promise of peace we so desperately need is wrapped up in the Prince of Peace, Jesus. But if I look around, my next thing, if I look around, man, it is hard to find peace. In this season of life, with this financial state, whatever it is, like, it is just hard to find peace. So what do I do? How do I have peace right now? Well, my wife and I had a few of our friends over this last uh, week, and uh, we're hanging out and having a good time. And I like to think my daughter's an extrovert, and she might be. Uh, but at 11 months old, she gets a little weirded out when there's a lot of people in her space, okay? So she's like, I, I'm watching her, and she starts to get a little bit overwhelmed, right? And so she does this thing where she, like, she, like, kind of quit her lip quivers, goes forth, you know, and she's like, and starts, like, crawling as fast as she can to me. And she gets to the bottom of my feet, and guess what she does next? What do you think she does next? Raises her arms up. Because she wants me to hold her, right? It's this beautiful moment. So, so I pick her up, and she's kind of crying. I pick her up, and everything's fine. She's totally at peace. She's happy. And it's, it was just such a crazy, beautiful moment because her circumstance didn't change, did it? There were still some weirdos in the room like her Uncle Ben and Uncle Nate, right? Like, it's just, like, not normal. And so she's, I mean, but, but because she was in her father's arms, everything was fine. And every time I pick her up when she's afraid, I just assure her, sweetheart, I love you. Uh, You're safe. It's going to be okay. And I think that Jesus is inviting us into that same thing, that same intimate relationship, that same coming to him, that same being held by him, that same assurance that it's going to be okay. Man, this side of heaven, your circumstances might remain unbearable. Your, 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 Your back may never heal your paycheck could stay smaller than the bills coming in. You may remain single. You might not ever be able to have kids. Um, everything might not magically get better, but guess what? We have a far better peace offered, don't we? Peace with God that's secure in Jesus. 
a peace that surpasses knowledge, a peace that supersedes circumstance, that in the midst of life's craziness, when everything is going together and wild, we get to run to the Father's arms, lifts, lift our hands, and he picks us up, holds us, whispers promises, and it's all okay. We trust him. But without the Son, Jesus, bringing peace, we could never walk into the Father's arms. Jesus provided that peace with God through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so for some of us in the room, you're thinking, man, uh, Austin, this, again, this sounds good. I'm all for it. I'm actually a believer. I've believed in Jesus, but, but I feel like I just don't have peace. I feel like I've tried to have peace. I know the verses. I know the books. I've read them. I know how to fight it. I know all of the statistics, and yet I don't have peace. Therefore, this must be faulty. There must be something wrong with me, and I'm just going to give up. I and mean, peace sounds inconceivable. Just, it, it seems impossible. And to that, I want you to look at the last sentence in verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So does that say that you being strong enough and committed enough will bring peace? Does that say that memorizing enough verses will give you peace? Does that say that your commitment, that your hard work, that your efforts will finally give you peace? No. It says that God will be the one to give you peace. Listen, God is the one who sent his son. God is the one that took our fears. God is the one who broke into our darkness. God is the one who died for our sins. God's the one who raised from the grave. And God is the one that will extravagantly give peace to anxious hearts. Amen? It's his zeal, his passion, his power that will provide peace to our anxious hearts. So if you're tired of trying to get peace, you can stop. And you can receive it. Like, stop trying and just believe that he's offering that to you. So if you're here this morning and you want peace, but you don't know Jesus, you will never find it in this world. You never will. You can try, you can search, you can expand, you can get rich, you can get famous, whatever. You'll never find it. So my invitation to you is to stop walking in darkness and believe that God sent his son for you. Believe that God's Son is bringing light into your darkness, that He could do that, and that by faith, freely by faith, you could receive that Son, and He would be your eternal victory and righteousness. Jesus is the only way to have peace with God, and simply by faith we receive Him. So would you do that this morning? Believe in Him. And if you don't—I'm sorry, if you do know Jesus, if you're thinking, Austin, cool, thanks, man, uh, for—but again, I, I know Jesus. Peace is offered to you right now. Right now. And I know that you, you stop and you think, well, I, you know, I, thanks, Austin, for saying that. that's a good promise. And everything. But I have, I mean, your, your list of anxieties run through your brain, right? Your list of fears run through. You're thinking, I, I mean, I know peace is promised, but I'm walking through a lot of fear. And my challenge for you is to tell that to the Father. Like, name your fear. Like, lay that out before him. Tell him, and like a good father, he wants to hear it. He wants to have it. Man, I, by the way, when Gracie runs to my feet, I have never in my life felt reluctant to pick her up. I have never in my life felt like, man, she's crying again, like, dang it. I'm like, I love and feel honored and feel cared for when she trusts me to pick her up right? I'm like, thank you for coming to me and not your mom, okay? You know, but, but, but I'm saying, right, I'm saying right now, God is not reluctant to receive your fears. God is not reluctant or distant or shutting the door so that you can't come in. God's saying, come here. I, I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to hold you. And so I'm, my challenge for you, believer, Christian, is to lay your fear at his feet. Tell him your fear and ask him to give you peace.
pray that he not primarily change your circumstance, but that he would change your heart, right? Ask him to pick you up and hold you. And for some of you this morning, man, as you're like, man, I want peace and I desire peace. And you're thinking, Austin, I'm going to spiritually raise my hands and have my father pick me up and give me peace. Can I challenge you, maybe through musical worship, that you would have a moment where you would lift your hands physically to show what you're doing spiritually. You'd say, Jesus, man, I'm yours. <laughs> like, I, I'm not going to look around and be afraid. I'm not even going to submit to the fear of what people will think. I'm going to say, Jesus, I want you to hold me and pick me up. Or maybe this time, through this week, you're alone, you're thinking, you're sitting in silence or listening to worship music, and you're thinking, man, I, and, and you just lift your hands in the room alone, and Jesus, man, I'm throwing my cast, I'm, I'm casting my cares at your feet, I'm throwing my anxieties down, and I'm trusting your peace. Would you do that? City Light, to you a child is born, to you a son is given. He is the Prince of Peace, and his peace will break into the darkness, shine light, and reign forevermore. Amen? Let's pray together.